Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood and it's story time. I uh, didn't do Writing Wednesday this week. Uh, a couple of reasons for that. Most important reason is mom flew into town and I've uh, been busy doing family stuff all week. I really didn't have a lot to talk about uh, as far as Writing Wednesday, except for one thing. I've got the most important part right here. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, the print proof of stories from the Great Challenge. In paperback, at least, arrived this week. Look at how thick this thing is. It's like, man, that's a thick one. Yeah, I know, no, that's what she said, right? But it's uh, 770 pages of awesome stories written by yours truly. I looked through the formatting. Interestingly enough, I ordered two uh, author copies. (laughs) One of them was printed wrong. started on page 25. The other one, this one, started from the beginning. So... Um, I'm going to talk to the printer about that one issue, but it appears at least that the absent, uh, you know, one-off printing issues, the proof copy looks good and, uh, we're going to proceed. I'll be, uh, sent shipping out the paperback, uh, copies to Indiegogo backers here, uh, this week. And it'll probably take a week or two to get to everybody, but it's done, ready to go. And run on time, too, because the ebook and officially print book uh, goes live for the world. It's, it's already on pre order, but it's the release date is this coming uh, Tuesday, the 1st of February. So, just in time, got the paperbacks ready. Hardcover, I'm still waiting on the uh, proof for, though, so that's going to be. A little bit time late, although, to be frank, it's uh, come February 1st, you'll probably be able to order it, even if I haven't seen the author copy, just because of the way the uh, the printers work at uh, way Ingram Spark works. You approve a digital proof, and you can't order any copies until that digital proof is approved. So, uh, it's already approved, but I wanted to see the see it and feel it and hold it before I actually shipped it out to the backers Um, because I approved it based on the interior files that the paperbacks based on and the cover file which is not all that different slight formatting issues with the uh, case laminated hardcover version but not huge ones Um, so anyway that's the news on the writing Wednesday front transplanted to story Saturday speaking of story Saturdays It's time we get on with the story we've been doing for, it feels like forever now. Well, that's okay, because this is the last one. Uh, Three chapters of Outdweller, Grim Lefero Chronicles number two today, 34 through 36, and that will wrap up the book. Yeah, resolve all the controversies that have been going on. A stupendous end to our adventure, as I'm sure you will no doubt enjoy. So let's get right to it. Uh, Remember... This is all written by me, read 
in the audiobook version by Kevin Sapp. Talk to you on the flip side. 34. The Casting Out Why had he bothered to grab his dagger? Julian did not fool himself. There was no way that small blade, well-constructed and finely honed as it was, could do any real harm to the outdweller. The beast was not of this world, and if Lauren and Melanie's magics could do little more than stun it for a moment, the thought of his sword doing any better, let alone his dagger, was just laughable. But laughable or not, Julian led with the tip of his blade as he charged. The outdweller was not focused on him. The mages, Melanie was a mage, no matter what those asses at the magisterium might say, received that honor. Maybe he could get that kidney strike in after all. On the opposite side of the brute, Radric had regained his feet, though he looked decidedly dazed. His scabbard was empty, his tirashi blade nowhere to be seen, but just that minute, it looked like Radric had other concerns, namely, not falling back down again. It would be a while before he would be good for it. The fight would likely be over first. Too bad, it would have been nice to make a two-flank attack. Oh well. Julian's foot caught in a little hollow of earth and he stumbled, pinwheeling his arms and taking a quick hopping step to prevent landing on his face. As it was, he came to a halt about a dozen paces from the outdweller, suddenly off his equilibrium. It was then that he noticed one of the outdweller's glowing red eyes, staring at him. He was not sure how he knew it was watching him. The thing did not have pupils that Julian could see. But nonetheless, the thing had regained its balance, and he was certain it was watching him with one eye, and the mages with the other three. Or, really, two. It was probably keeping an eye on Radric as well. The bottom fell out of Julian's stomach as he thought of how confusing it would be to interpret those disparate viewpoints, but apparently the outdweller had none of the difficulty a human would, and that ruled out his being able to get in a surprise attack at the beast's flank. A sound, almost like a crack of thunder, but more short-lived and deeper, emanated from the outdweller. Julian could have sworn it had snorted at his attempt. In... amusement? And then the beast drew itself up to its full height and roared, bearing the multitude of triangular, razor-sharp teeth that festooned its mouth. It was more like the impact from a shield bash than a sound. It smacked into Julian's body and sent him stumbling backwards several steps, only quick backpedaling stopping him from falling over. Radric, dazed as he still was, was not so quick, and he went over onto his backside. Melanie as well. But when the roar reached Lorin, a shimmering blue dome sprang to life all around him, glowing strongly for a half-second before fading into transparency once again. The mage sniffed and looked at the outdweller with a sneer. Enough of this, he said in a smooth, calm voice. Whatever bumps and bruises he had taken so far tonight, they did not seem to have shaken his bravado. Then he spoke a single word that Julian did not understand, and spun his staff over his head in a dizzying circular arc. All around the flat area, candles, which had been lit when the group arrived before, but had extinguished when the blackness rolled in, flickered to life, their little flames dim counterpoints to the two suspended balls of light but somehow the candle's combined glow seemed stronger, more insistent, than those conjured balls. The outdweller blew out a hard breath through its nose. Julian had not noticed its nostrils before, two sets of vertical slits that lay between the pairs of eyes, and roared again. It was less loud this time, almost more tentative, as though the beast were suddenly uncertain. Julian noticed one of its eyes tracking around toward the candles for a second. And then it charged, straight toward Lauren. 
The outdweller's hoofed feet tore great rivets in the ground as it rushed him, moving much faster than Julian would have thought a being of its bulk would be capable of. It closed the distance between itself and the mage in seconds, and extended its arms, the great curved talons thrusting toward Lorin. There was no way the mage could avoid being impaled, not as quickly as the beast had moved. But somehow, when the outdweller's talons reached him, Lorin was no longer there. He vanished, reappearing six feet to his right, facing the outdweller from its side. Julian blinked in surprise, his jaw dropping open wide. What had Lorin just done? And in the name of all that was holy, how? There was no time to worry about it, however. The outdweller whirled toward Lorin instantly. He was already within reach of the beast's great arms. Again, they lashed out toward him. But Lorin was the quicker. He spoke a hurried trio of words and thrust forward with his staff. What could only be called a hammer of light leapt from the end of his staff and struck the beast, even as it was bringing its arms down. Instead of tearing him to shreds, the outdweller was lifted bodily off the ground and hurled backwards almost ten feet before it crashed to the ground on its back. Now, woman! Lauren barked. Melanie had just regained her feet. She brushed her hair back from her face, clearing her vision, and cocked her head toward him, an eyebrow rising in an unspoken question. Lauren rolled his eyes disgustedly. Hold it! Keep it on the ground! How in the hell was she supposed to do that? Julian would have bet Melanie was wondering the same thing, but if she did, she did not voice it. She merely nodded as though Lauren had not just asked her to do the nigh-on impossible and stepped forward, one hand dipping into a pouch at her waist, while the other pulled her notebook out and thumbed open a tabbed page. Incredulity filled Julian. What was she going to do, read about it? But he should have known better. She glanced at the page for the briefest of seconds, then began a quick, precise chant that took only slightly longer than the glance had been. The incantation culminated in her throwing a small object, the thing she had taken from her pouch, Julian was sure, at the outdweller, which was just beginning to get itself righted. The object Melanie threw landed on the ground a pace away from the outdweller, and for a second or two nothing happened. The outdweller got itself up onto its hands and knees and was beginning to push itself erect again. Julian's heart sank. Whatever the spell had been, it had not worked, or Melanie had missed. Suddenly, the earth cracked open where the object Melanie threw landed. Great green shoots grew out of the crack, a half dozen of them, each twisting in a different direction as it grew, and each sprouting leaves as it went. The plant moved as though it were a sentient being, its shoots ensnaring the outdweller in a dozen different ways between one breath and the next, and still it grew, its twining vines becoming more and more intricately interconnected until Julian could not tell where one of the shoots stopped and the next began. Neither, apparently, could the outdweller. It howled in fury, but Julian could also detect a note of frustration there as well, as the rapidly growing plant caught it in its embrace. The beast struggled, ripping at the plant with its talons and trying to pull away using sheer strength and mass. At first, for all its thrashings, the outdweller was well and truly caught, but the plant's growth slowed and then stopped, and within moments it became clear that the outdweller would be the winner in the contest between the two of them. But it would take time. The outdweller ripped a growth of vine off, but there were literally dozens more to remove before it would be free of the plant. It was a brilliant spell, but was it brilliant enough? Julian looked away from the outdweller toward the mages. Melanie watched the outdweller struggling to free itself, her face a mask of concentration, and Julian realized she must be controlling the plant's actions in some way. 
Lauren, too, was deep in concentration, but he was also chanting, a deep, rhythmic incantation that rolled off his tongue barely any louder than if he were having a conversation over tea. And yet, those incantations fairly boomed with power. The candles all around them pulsed in time with his words, and the breeze began to pick up. Slowly at first, but then faster and faster, the breeze became a gust, and then a full-on wind that swirled all around the flattened area. The circle of candles flickered, their flames dancing in time with the wind's movements. Julian was sure they should have gone out, extinguished by the suddenly fierce blow, but instead the flames merely moved with the wind's motion. If anything, the little flames grew, becoming torches in their own right, and bathing the entire area in a radiance that came to almost rival the morning just after sunrise. The outdweller bellowed and raised its arms almost reflexively against the suddenly more intense light all around it. For a second, it lay stunned, but then it began thrashing all the more fiercely. It was as though the beast sensed that its time was short. It tore at the vines that trapped it in a fury, ripping them away two or three at a time, its monstrous talons and unmeasurable strength making the task appear easy all of a sudden. And then it was free. To his left, Melanie recoiled as though struck physically and stumbled backwards, landing awkwardly on her backside. She did not move her expression stunned, and her eyes unfocused. The outdweller bellowed again, in victory, Julian thought this time, from its tone, and pushed itself to its feet. It spun, turning its quartet of burning eyes onto Lauren. The Inquisitor stood tall, well, as tall as he was capable of, and met the outdweller stare for stare. And all the while he kept up his chant, his words coming forth in the same steady rhythm, but increasing in volume and power with each breath. The outdweller stepped toward Lauren, but its movement was far slower than it had been just a moment ago. It looked at him for a second, perplexed. Then its gaze went skyward, and its eyes widened. Above the beast, the wind, which now was whipping past Julian to rival any storm he had ever seen, had gathered up all of the loose dust and debris in the area. A funnel formed just above the outdweller, sort of an inverted tornado. All around the outdweller, bits of grass lifted up, struggling against their roots to join the vortex above. More dust and loose dirt flew upward all around the beast. Then, in the middle of the funnel, came a flash of light, like a single star giving birth, directly above the outdweller. The beast howled then, its earlier cry of victory becoming one of desperate denial. The outdweller fell forward, hitting the ground with a near-deafening thump and then dug into the earth with its talons. It roared again, as though trying to call on its reserves of strength. All around the beast, debris, small at first and then larger, began rushing toward the flickering light at the vortex's center. Watching them go, faster and faster, Julian was surprised that he was not following with them. But strong as the wind was, he felt no greater force than he had before. And yet now, things that were clearly large, nearly as large as he, were being pulled into that light. Every time one of them struck the light, it flashed a bit brighter and expanded, casting a pure white illumination on the area. One of the objects flew past his shoulder, and Julian saw a black carapace and multitudes of long, clutching legs and pinchers that tried to grab him before it, too, was consumed by the light. And he understood. Everything that was being drawn into the vortex was something the outdweller had brought over into this plane with it. And after they were gone, the outdweller would be next. The outdweller knew this as well. It bellowed again and tried to dig its feet into the ground, but its hooves could not dig as well as its talons, and they gained no purchase. 
Again, crying in denial, it was helpless to prevent its feet from being drawn upward. Finally, it sat there like a gymnast Julian saw in a traveling show once, standing upright on just the palms of his hands. But this time, the outdweller was working to hold itself in place. Its talons dug in deeply, desperately. But still, the vortex pulled it upwards. Slowly, inexorably, one of the outdweller's hands pulled free from the earth. For a second, Julian thought that that would be it, but the beast flailed around and its talons came to rest on something else that was lying on the ground nearby. Something limp and bony, dressed in the robes of a mage. Tellurian. The outdweller drew the hapless mage closer to itself and stared at him, its eyes filled with malevolent intent. Tellurian jerked, and then his eyes flew open, meeting the gaze of the outdweller without any opportunity for defense. Tellurian's scream rang out, loud even above the howling tumult of the wind, the power of Lauren's chant, and the rasping growl of the outdweller's breathing. On and on the hapless mage screamed. Though the outdweller did nothing to him but hold him and look at him, it sounded as though he were being flayed alive, he screamed so. He began to spasm uncontrollably, his body flopping about like a puppet whose strings had been cut. The outdweller smiled slightly, a look of pure, evil enjoyment. And then, its other hand lost its grip on the earth, and the beast flew upwards into the vortex and the brilliant light at its center. The outdweller struck the light, and it flared all the greater, lighting the area more intensely than the sun could have at noon. And then the light was gone, and with it the storming wind and the struggling beast from the outer plains. Only Tellurian remained. He seemed to hover in midair for several seconds, but then he fell to the ground. The thud of his body landing seemed far louder than it should have in the absolute silence that followed. 35. Flotsam and Jetsam Julian stood there, speechless. What could he say? His mind struggled to wrap itself around what had just happened, but it could not get there. He swallowed and tried a different tack. The outdweller was gone, that much seemed certain. That reality crept into his psyche, and all of a sudden, relief flooded through him, like a river past a dam that had been breached. When he charged that thing with only his little dagger for a weapon, he truly had not thought he would see the next hour, let alone the next ten minutes. And yet, here he stood, and the outdweller had, apparently, been vanquished. He was on his knees. When that happened, Julian could not say, but right then it did not seem inappropriate. It worked. Melanie sounded just as relieved as he did, but when Julian turned his head to look at her, she was still on her feet. Show off. Of course it worked. Lauren sniffed contemptuously as he replied, then strolled, apparently without care as though he had just finished his early afternoon tea, over toward where Tellurian lay. He stopped when he reached the other mage and looked down at him, frowning for a long moment before squatting down next to him. Melanie crossed her arms under her breasts and stared at him, not at all pleased by his response. You're welcome, she said, finally no small amount of scorn in her tone. Lauren glanced at her and shook his head slightly, but did not reply. Tellurian had his entire attention. Lauren felt alongside the other mage's neck for his pulse, then forced his eyelid open. He peered into Tellurian's eye for a long while, then sighed. He released the fallen mage and stood, 
wiping his fingers on his cloak as though he had dragged them through the mud, his expression deeply saddened. Is he alive? Radric asked. He had regained his footing in his equilibrium, and he stood facing Lauren with his best all-business expression on his face. Lauren shrugged. After a fashion. Meaning what? Lauren turned a cool gaze on Radric and was silent for several seconds. Then he sighed and lowered his eyes to again look at Tellurian's prone form. His body lives, and will if history carries out, accept food and water when forced to. But his essence, his mind... Lauren shook his head and grimaced. We do not know whether he still lurks somewhere within his body, insanely driven to hide away from the world, or whether the Outdweller drew him out and bore him back into the netherworld with it. Julian shuddered at the thought of going wherever the Outdweller came from. It could only be horrid being there. He flashed back to the feeling of the Outdweller's cronies crawling all over him, hurting him everywhere, and depriving him even of breath as they blotted out any shred of light and beauty. Horrid would not even begin to describe what it would be like to live where those things dwelled. He cleared his throat. Sounds like this has happened before. Lauren glanced Julian's way and nodded. There are some historical accounts, but none match what Tellurian did. At least, none within the last four centuries. He sighed. I had thought, hoped, that he had only contacted a lesser being from the Dark Plains, and that he had bound the creature to his will to do evil according to his whims. Didn't he? Lauren shook his head in response to Radric's words. Did you not see that creature? Did you not hear Tellurian's words? He gestured at the prone man, who was beginning to drool all over himself. Tellurian was far from the strongest man I ever taught, but even he could have dealt with one of the lesser outdwellers. No. He shook his head again. Somehow, he invited a lord of the netherworld over, and very quickly it overwhelmed him and twisted him to its will. He lowered his eyes, sadly. And now he has paid the price. Lauren was silent for a long moment. Then he drew in a deep breath through his nostrils and looked back up at Radric, then Julian. I will need your help to get him back to town. His eyes held a question, nearly a pleading, and a deep sorrow that Julian would not have expected from a man who had been sent to hunt down a criminal. Then Julian remembered that Lauren said Tellurian had studied beneath him at some point. Almost against his will, Julian found he could understand, even relate, to Lauren's pain. He had helped train many young recruits who showed up to his unit, barely trained and completely unprepared for the realities of life along the battle lines. More of those young men, Julian refused to allow himself to admit that they were not really all that much younger than he was himself, died on the battlefield because he and his fellows did not have time to prepare them than he liked to recall. But he did recall the ache in his heart, in his soul, every time one of them passed, far too early and far too uselessly. Julian nodded his assent. He would help carry Tellurian's body, and it was just a body, little more than mobile flesh if his mind truly had been sucked away by that beast, back to town. Much as he disliked Lauren, he could not deny the bond the Inquisitor felt for his former student, and Julian could not turn his back on that. Melanie, however... What do you mean he's paid the price? Her tone was hot, the sort of hot that Julian had learned over the last several months of knowing her, foretold that the person she was speaking to was treading on extremely, 
extremely dangerous ground. You're not going to just let him go on living after what he did? Her words were met only by silence for a time. Julian thought about responding to explain things, but found he did not have the words. He looked over at Raedric and saw that his one-time squad leader was in a similar quandary. He understood the root of Lauren's feelings, just as Julian did, and that emotion conflicted with his innate desire to see justice done. And how could justice be done while Tellurian breathed, when so many of his victims did not? Finally, Lauren answered. His tone was cold, and he looked at Melanie with the contempt one normally reserves for the lowliest of slaves. I mean what I say, woman. He imparted the word woman with such scorn and derision that, for a moment, Julian thought he would perhaps vomit from having to voice such a word. Then he continued, in a more normal tone. Cold, but normal. The torment he endures at the hands of the outdweller far surpasses any that we mortals could inflict. He scowled slightly, then added, But if, perchance, he somehow managed to escape that fate, and he comes back to his senses, he will stand trial and be punished according to the law. With that, he turned his back on Melanie, and once again squatted down next to Tellurian. You believe he really was brought over with the beast? Raedric was stating a fact, not asking a question. Lauren nodded, saying nothing more. Raedric returned the nod, his face solemn. The two men shared a long look. Then, finally, Raedric nodded again, and Lauren inclined his head, his lips turning upwards into a slight smile of gratitude. Raedric took a moment to locate his blade. He sheathed it and walked over to Tellurian's body. Then he and Lauren together lifted the fallen mage, and they began the long trek back to town. Julian stayed behind with Melanie for a time. She had not budged from the spot where she stood, watching the Inquisitor and the Constable walking away with their burden. It took Julian a minute or two to realize she was crying. Or, at least, tears were dripping from her eyes. Are you all right? Melanie sniffed. That man killed dozens or more. And he lets him live. She drew herself up and inhaled quickly, stealing her expression into something that resembled a statue. Timon was guilty only of teaching me what I wanted to learn, and they tortured him to death for it. She turned her head and looked at Julian, her eyes tight with suppressed pain and anger. Do you call that justice, Julian? She did not wait for his answer, but went stalking after the two men and their burden. Julian lingered for a time, watching them go. He had no good answer to her question. Thirty-six. Farewells. The grooms lifted Tellurian into his saddle. The mage went along limply, almost sliding off the horse altogether, before the two young men got him properly situated. They lingered for a few moments, watching him warily as though expecting him to slump over and fall off any second. And small wonder. The mage just sat there, staring blankly at the area in front of himself, his face expressionless and his mouth hanging slightly open. A drop of drool slowly began to accumulate at the corner of his mouth, but he did not lift a hand to stop it. In fact, his hands never left his saddle horn. He had not even taken hold of the horse's reins. If it were not for the dark blue robes, almost black, that he wore, and the golden necklace around his neck that announced his status as a member of the Magisterium, no one would take him for such a lofty personage. 
but not so lofty anymore. Lauren regarded the young grooms with a disapproving frown and waved them away. One of them opened his mouth to object, no doubt still concerned that Tellurian would fall, but the look on Lauren's face stopped him. The groom bobbed his head in a quick half-bow, then hurried away after his comrade, who had fled as soon as Lauren indicated he should. Julian did not watch them go. He stood beside Radric, across the Orlok's stable yard from where Lauren and his erstwhile fugitive were, and watched the Inquisitor's actions closely. They were there to make sure Lauren and Tellurian left town quickly and caused no more trouble as they did, and to make sure they avoided one particular bit of trouble more than any other. Lauren scowled after the grooms, then flung his saddlebags over his own horse's back. He cinched up his own robes before mounting. He had worn his formal attire for departure, and not just because he had met with the mayor earlier in the morning to bid farewell, and so the mayor could try to do some damage control. Small chance of that. Lauren grabbed the reins of Tellurian's horse and wrapped them around his own saddle horn, then made a soft clucking noise that just barely carried to Julian's ear. His horse began walking forward at a slow walk, and Lauren nudged it to the left, toward the open gateway leading out to the street. As he turned, his eyes alighted on Julian and Radric, and his expression grew a bit more dark than it had been before. Lauren pulled his horse to a halt when he was a few paces away from them, and nodded quickly, the sort of nod of superior to subordinate, one meant to remind the subordinate of his place. Constables, here to see me off, I presume? Radric returned the nod with one that was deep enough to convey respect, but shallow enough to discount the difference in stature between them. Just making sure you have all that you need. Lauren sniffed and was silent for a moment. His eyes moved slowly from Radric to Julian and back, but aside from that, his expression did not change. You do not trust that I will do as we agreed and leave your... woman... alone. His tone was neutral, but his eyes flashed with anger and scorn. He did not like this arrangement one bit. That was hardly surprising. I did not say that. Radric, too, kept his tone neutral. Lauren rolled his eyes quickly. I am a man of my word. He nudged his horse, turning it away from Julian and Radric, toward the gate. Then he paused, looking back at them. Were I you, I would reconsider my choice of friends. A woman driven to revenge against people who have not wronged her is not... Julian could not help it. He interrupted Lauren's words, speaking hotly. You killed her lover. Lauren shook his head. I brought a man to justice who was guilty of crimes against the king and the magisterium. That this Timon was her lover was unfortunate, for her, but there was no malice meant in it. How can you say that? Lauren looked at Julian like he was daft. This man you fought some months ago, Eisenhof, did you bear malice toward his family and friends when you sent him to the gallows? Julian felt the wind taken out of his sails by Lauren's words, and he closed his mouth without replying. No, he did not think about Eisenhof's family at all when he put him on the cart for Mangan City, where a magistrate who was empowered to deal with capital cases held court. He would have preferred to settle it all locally, but their judge was only commissioned to handle more mundane issues. Julian supposed the powers that be in the kingdom decided towns as small as Lyttelton would not have to deal with those offenses, or at least not often enough to warrant the extra cost of a higher magistrate and his staff. But that was neither here nor there. Lauren was right. Julian had not thought at all about the people who would be sorry to see good old Theobald hanged. Although he could not fathom there were that many who fit the bill. But there must have been someone. 
Lauren smiled, ever so slightly, seeing that he had scored a point. You see, we are not as different as you would like to think, Constable Hindebrook. He returned his gaze to Radric. Of course, at the time, we did not know the full extent of Timmons' crimes, or of Mistress Clemens' participation in them. Had we? He paused, meaningfully, then said, Good health to you, constables. Then he turned his back and nudged his horse's flanks with his heels. The steed set off at a walk, and Tellurian's horse followed suit. A moment later, the two men were gone from view. Do you really believe he won't tell his people about Melanie? Julian said. Radric frowned and shook his head, but said nothing. His eyes tracked toward where Lauren must have been had he followed the most efficient course toward Main Street and then out of town. Me neither. Melanie's shop was open, for a wonder. It felt to Julian as though it had been closed for months with all that had happened. Strange to think it had only been a few days. He pushed the door open and stepped within, then paused for a moment, inhaling the odor of some exotic incense and smiling. Melanie always knew how to keep a welcoming feel about her place, but she had never burned this particular incense before. Or at least Julian did not recognize it. It smelled expensive, though. Melanie was seated on a stool behind her counter. She wore a simple but elegant green dress that was embroidered with flowers and birds around the ends of the sleeves and about her neck. She was reading a small book, but she looked up as the door swung closed behind Julian. Upon seeing him, she quirked an eyebrow upwards and smiled, ever so slightly. Julian. Feeling better? She shrugged, the smile leaving her face as quickly as it came. Not particularly. He walked over to the counter. There were a few knickknacks in a small bin on the counter's end, and he rummaged through them for a short while, trying to figure the right way to say this. Melanie looked at him askance, but said nothing. Finally, Julian decided to just put it out there. Lauren left town a couple hours ago. He expected a reaction, but an almost uncaring shrug was not it. So I heard. Julian looked at her more closely. Her expression was nonchalant, but that indifference did not make it to her eyes. They were slightly bloodshot, and the bottom of her nose slightly reddened, as though she had the sniffles. Five to one odds she had cried herself to sleep the night before, and again on waking this morning. He was not stupid enough to say that to her face, of course. I more than halfway expected you to make a try for him before he left. Wasn't that your plan? She frowned and looked away from Julian, toward the case of remedies at the center of her shop. He knew I was coming, or he must have. He would have made preparations, and he is more than my match in a stand-up fight. She inhaled through her nose. That sounded suspiciously like a sniffle, then turned back to him and smiled more broadly. But again, the smile did not reach her eyes. The point was to get even, not to kill myself. Julia nodded, understanding. Melanie was no fool. He had overstated things a bit. He had been far from halfway expecting her to attack Lauren. More like a third way, or a quarter. All the same, though, she had been practically bursting at the seams a few times over the course of the night before last. And if... But she had not. That was the important part. Well, an important part. The other part was much more difficult. He drew a deep breath. Lauren knows where you are now. Melanie nodded, the smile fading again. Her eyes widened ever so slightly, and she suddenly looked nervous. I don't believe he'll hold that information back from the Magisterium, 
and neither does Radric. Maybe it would be best if... Melanie held up a silencing hand, looking beyond nervous toward frightened. Don't. Melanie, I... Don't send me away, Julian. Looking at her, he saw an openness, a vulnerability that he had never seen in her before. The facade of supreme confidence bordering on arrogance, the sense of quiet strength coupled with worldliness and knowledge that she normally projected, was gone. All that remained was a woman suddenly afraid of losing... Losing what? She sniffed again and blinked to stop upwelling tears, but she was not successful. I finally made a home here. It's been so long since... She wiped her eyes and coughed out a half-laugh that rang with self-directed disgust. She drew herself up, drawing a deep breath. I'm not going anywhere, so don't try to suggest I do anything different. And she was back, just like that. The stare she directed at Julian was challenging, daring him to push the topic. They'll send someone for you. Maybe several someones. You know that. She nodded. And us as well, for harboring you. That made her flinch, but the challenging stare never wavered. Julian looked her in the eye for a few seconds, and, as usual, could not stop admiration from welling up within him. And not just for her looks, which would normally be enough in and of themselves. He was not sure he could stay firm like this in the face of what she faced, especially having witnessed what the Magisterium was capable of with Timon. No, he was certain he could not stand firm. He, and Radric as well, had fled the consequences of his actions in the army, rather than stay and face the headsman's axe. That admiration just got larger. Just wanted to make sure we were all clear on that. Melanie smiled again, ever so slightly, then nodded. Julian returned the nod, then walked over to the door. He reached for the latch, but paused and looked back at her. See you at the Orlock later? Melanie smiled at him, and for the first time since he walked in, it seemed the smile was genuine. Wouldn't miss it. Julian returned the smile with a grin of his own. Then he opened the door and went out. There was a town to see to, after all. And we're done at long last. Complete with Outdweller, Gliverville Chronicles number two. Uh, long time getting to the end of this, mostly because of imposed gaps by me and uh, life rolls and stuff. But uh, hey, we got through it. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I uh, like this book a lot, obviously, because I wrote it. But also, I think it's a good book. I enjoy I enjoy it when I go back and read it. Sometime, there's some of the stuff I've written in the past, uh, if I go back and read... Okay, never, ne never mind that. I like everything I've written. Some things I find, if I go back and look at them, are better than others, and these Glimmer Veil books, I think, all stand up pretty well. And the people who have read them, vast majority, like them. And um, I hope you did, too. There are... Three more books in the series, plus five short stories, and book number six is going to be done here shortly. Like I said before, I'm meant to have it done before the holidays, life complications. I will be getting a Kickstarter going to uh, kickstart <laughs> the release of that. I will get that uh, campaign going here in the next week or two for release in mid-March. That's the plan at this point anyway. So be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, the closest alligator to the vote is this. If you have not yet picked up your copy of 
stories from the Great Challenge, which why would you have since, you know, it's not released yet? Unless you were a really cool person to pre-order it, which, you know, a few have. Um, but be that as it may, if you haven't yet done that, now's the time. Go to ssnstorytelling.com. You can get it direct from me. Go to every ebook and many print book locations in the interwebs, and you can get it there too. I prefer that you go straight to me. You can get the prints from me too. Why do I prefer you go straight to me at ssnstorytelling.com, or rather to the company that publishes all my stuff, of which I have an ownership stake? Because in most cases, I get more money from it. Also, more importantly, I have more control and don't have to worry about some big faceless evil corporation doing shenanigans and suddenly you can't find my stuff because I am the big faceless evil corporation, or rather, my corporation is that I'm associated with. But I'm associated with it, so there's a control and a relationship there as opposed to just this weird in-the-cloud thing. Up to you. Either way, um... But doesn't matter how you buy it, just go get it. And tell all your friends. And tell all friends about all the cool stuff we're doing here. Um, by all means, don't neglect the Glimmer Veil books. They're available everywhere as well. Um, we will be getting back to doing audios, books of them on this podcast in the future. But in the meantime, in the immediate future, I think uh, we're going back to back to short fiction. Like I said last week, we'll be starting doing the stories from the great challenge there's 52 of them some of them are longer than others um most of them are you know, coming around four five six thousand words one of them is about fourteen thousand. a couple of them are down closer to two uh so most weeks we'll just do one story but for those really short ones if they line up nicely we might do two but i think it's going to be a story a week uh for the next year, if we only do one uh, podcast at least a week. Um, we'll see how that goes, but that's the plan from now on. And maybe, you know, as things develop, we may do a, you know, a third of the book and then stop and do a novel or, or not. Semper Gumbus. But for now, starting next week, it's back to short fiction. So definitely join us for that. It'll be a, a good time. The first story in Stories from the Great Challenge, look, I mean, it rode them I put them in the book in order they were written. It's called Red Orchid. It's actually a, a mute, cute, uh, little modern romance thing, short story, which I have a couple of those in here just because I was stretching, trying something new. And um, I think it work okay. You're going to judge it next week. In the meantime, uh, like I said, like, subscribe, tell all your friends. Uh, and come back uh, I'll try to get writing Wednesday in this week I don't know that I will because mom's going home on Wednesday and then I'm driving up to Vegas to see a friend for a couple of days um, if I have time I'll, and inclination there's a couple like I said a couple of weeks ago there's a couple of things I'd like to talk through uh, if I have time to get done on Tuesday I'll post it for writing Wednesday otherwise we'll hold off until uh, the week after I get back from Vegas um or, depending on what time I get to Vegas, maybe I'll post it from there. But, regardless, um, definitely next week on Saturday will be Story Saturday with the first of the short fiction stories from Stories from the Great Challenge. 
So you can join, come back, and join us for that. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.